Welcome to an Austin Audible's podcast, Thanksgiving edition. Yes, I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel with me as always. Uh, Eric, we're a couple days away from the Civil War, and even though it's Thanksgiving, we did decide to to give Duck Fan their usual Thursday podcast, which means we get an opportunity to, to talk with Angie Machado of BeaverBlitz.com. She is the publisher there. She's the Beaver insider, the person that knows this program the best from its insides and outs. Uh, excited to talk with Angie about this Civil War game. It's it's There's a lot on the line for both teams, without a doubt, even though Oregon's got the Pac-12 North locked up. I just think this Civil War, all of a sudden, in the last three or four weeks, has morphed into a game that's much bigger than expected. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we, we should mention this is first and second place in the Pac-12 North um, competing uh, for the Civil War. And, and again, uh, Cristobal said it best, I think, on Monday of just like these are two really good teams with a lot to play for. And I think that's true. And I don't think we that's something we necessarily expected to be saying. I, I know it's something I didn't expect to be saying about Oregon State, um, you know, right around Thanksgiving. It just didn't feel like this was going to be a game that had much stakes. And yet Oregon State wins this game. They're bowl eligible. Oregon, I guess, technically, you could say there isn't like anything massive they get from winning this football game. But if they lose it, that certainly doesn't help um, where they might end up in a bowl situation. I mean, that, that would be, I think, kind of a devastating defeat, even if it doesn't impact the bowl, just in, in terms of like you would be ending a really, really good season with two straight losses going into a game against Utah. You could lose three straight and then this thing spirals. So a lot to play for um, Oregon state playing inspired football, really good football over these last, you know, really since the Utah game, I mean, you look through it, they lost to Utah at home 52 to seven. And at that point it was kind of like, okay, cause, cause we should mention they'd beaten UCLA the week before on the road. They had a really tough, close game with Stanford the week before that they get absolutely dismantled by Utah. And I think at that point you're kind of going like, okay, this is, this is more what this team is, but they respond with two road wins at Cal at what, uh, sorry, at Arizona come home. I almost beat Washington lose 19 to seven. And then they beat Arizona State 35-34, to a team Oregon just lost to, and then probably should have beaten Washington State on the road, lose that game on the final play of regulation on a Borgie run up the middle. Um, but this is just a team that really you take out that Utah game, they've been competitive or have won every single game in conference play this season, and I don't think anybody expected that. And I know Oregon and Utah are, are certainly the class of the conference right now in terms of record and probably just in terms of talent. But I, I also look at this and go like, this is a game I don't think is going to be uh, a blowout. I, I just think Oregon State's played everyone they've played really, really close except for Utah. Yeah, it's turned into a situation where this is a game where Oregon State's, I, I think, much more lethal than we were anticipating. And they've got the offense that can move the football. Their defense has kind of come around and, and is playing good football. I mean, Hamaclair... Rashid Jr. is second in the country in sacks. I don't. I mean, everyone jokes about how bad the Beaver defense is. They have statistically the second best guy uh, in the country, not just the Pac-12, the country in creating sacks and getting pressure on the quarterback and changing the game. It's momentum because of the big playability there. So this this team is I. I I think the, the the loss by Oregon at um, Arizona State kind of locked it up. I think Jonathan Smith's going to win Coach of the Year, and the the job that he has done the last four or five weeks of this season mm-hmm. to kind of turn this group around and develop some guys 
is pretty darn impressive because just two years ago, this was a team that w- was not only the worst in the Pac-12, but was probably one of the worst teams in all of college football, regardless of level. I mean, yeah, this is a team that even last year wasn't particularly competitive. And I think that's the thing that just stands out looking at their their schedule this season is like, you know, I know they got blown and blasted by Utah, like I just said, but you take that out and they've been really competitive in every other game. And, and that's why, you know, I think I know the Lions started at 21. I know Oregon is a big favorite right now, but I, I look at this game and I go, I just don't see Oregon blowing them out. And we'll get into game predictions later on the week, but. Um, I, I see this being a game that is going to be highly competitive. There's a lot on the line for both teams. And look, I, I'm not going to be shocked at all if this is a game that we get into the fourth quarter and and Oregon is is not comfortably ahead and is kind of having to sweat it out. I mean, and, and I, I expect Oregon's going to win this game. I think they're going to be very, very motivated to do so. But Oregon State's a much scarier team than I think we had anticipated they would be all season. I don't think we were at any point really up until the last month or so looking at this as a game Oregon could lose. But given the game, the way they played at Arizona State, the way uh, Oregon State has played basically in the last month or so of the season, uh, you look at this game and, and yeah, it's, I think it has to be a scary one and especially because it is a rivalry game and with what Oregon State is playing for, with the possibility to go to a bowl game for the first time since 2013, um, Oregon's going to get their best shot and they better be ready to take it because we saw against Arizona State uh, just less than a week ago that Sun Devil team gave Oregon its best shot, and Oregon right. wasn't up for the challenge. And now let's welcome in Angie Machado, BeaverBlitz.com. She covers the Oregon State Beavers athletic program, football in particular, the person that knows this program the best. Angie, how's it going? It's good. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing good. Excited for a Civil War football game that all of a sudden, the last four or five weeks, has turned into a contest that features the Pac-12 North champion, the second-place Pac-12 team in Oregon State. Uh, the Beavers are fighting for bowl eligibility. Oregon's fighting uh, to, to rebound after a tough loss. And a game that all of a sudden didn't have a lot of storylines has kind of morphed into one of the bigger civil wars we, we, we've seen over the last you know handful of years. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought Oregon State would be right now second place in the Pac-12 North? Nobody. I mean, I, I, I had them as... <laughs> I had them as like the worst team in, in the Pac-12 going into the year. Yeah, I knew they weren't going to be the worst, or I had a good feeling, but I think they've uh, exceeded expectations. And, you know, I think Beaver fans were hoping to see a team that was just competitive this year, maybe win a couple games, but be competitive, and we've seen that. And that heartbreaker, though, at Washington State last week was that, uh, you know, I think Oregon State was hoping to be bowl eligible after that. Um, I just didn't like the matchup from, I mean, you could ask me in August and that was probably the game that I said that in Utah were the two games. I just didn't think Oregon state matched up well with, um, civil war is going to be tough obviously, but I like the matchup a little better than, than the Cougars with their high flying. Let's go back to last week real quick. Um, did you like the decision by Jonathan Smith to go for it on fourth down near midfield instead of punting it and asking Washington state to, try and drive the length of the field. You know what? I did. I mean, this was a team. I mean, they had 600 yards of offense. Um, and like 95% of that was all passing through the air. So the Oregon State secondary is the weakest part of the defense. And to ask, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. You know, it wouldn't have mattered if you gave them the ball on the five or you gave it to them on the 35. You know, I, th- I think Oregon State was looking just to win. Win the game. You get that first down. Now, we could argue I might not have agreed with the play calls that they ran sure. on second and third down, but um, 
I, I do. I, like I said, I, it's been a huge topic with Oregon State fans, and uh, it, it's interesting. You, the fans all hated it. You talked to, I talked to several former players that said that was the thing to do because Oregon State wasn't going to, to stop them. So, um, you know, you get that first down, seal the game, and uh, get out of get out of dodge. But um, it didn't work that way. And you know, honestly, the week before Oregon State, it came down to the same thing—a fourth down play. They drew a pass interference call and got the first down to steal that win against Arizona State. So um, Jonathan Smith has shown he's a gambler. He's he's going to be aggressive, and you win some, you lose some. Right. Year, year two of the Jonathan Smith era is about over. There's one game, maybe two left. Season either ends at five and seven or Oregon State beats the Ducks and they play in a bowl game. Uh, regardless of the outcome of the Civil War, I'm just curious, what's just been you feel like the the perception of Oregon State football just about a month ago when they were two and four uh, about six weeks ago and to now where they're they're you know they're five and six they're playing for a bowl game and regardless of what happens in the Civil War just what's been that change in perception excitement in the view of the Jonathan Smith era yeah I think I think fans are finally kind of starting to believe that maybe he can turn this thing around it you know he was brought on and yeah he was favorite son um, you know, hero would be like, you know, Oregon bringing Joey Harrington back, you know, to coach. So right. um, what we've seen, the biggest change, though, in the past two years has just been the culture. And this was a team that was has been so broken after Gary Anderson left. I mean, it was a team that had guys that hated football. There were they there was divisions in the locker room. And and for Smith to have turned this thing around and have guys believing, that's been the biggest thing, I think, is just their confidence, the players confidence and belief. Um, and then also having a consistency in the offense and then the defense, you know, this is a team that some of those seniors have had four to five position coaches during their time at Oregon state. It's so hard to, you know, really be cemented in, in a system or a scheme when you're constantly getting taught something different. So to have year two in, in the program and, um, you kind of saw the light bulb go off too, as, as they started to win a game or two that we can do this, you know, it's, it's that belief that they can now talent differential there's still a talent gap that they're working to you know bring in more talented players but um these guys believe that they can win and um you know the skill level they're starting to be able to execute what the staff wants them to do angie i think you touched on a little bit with the culture change but i'm curious you just look through conference play now and again oregon state was picked i think last in the pac-12 north um they've been extremely competitive in every game besides the game with utah back in mid-october um, why, why do you think that's been the case? Because there have been opportunities here where they go on the road to play some pretty good teams. You mentioned Washington State, um, a Cal team that had some injury issues at quarterback. But you look through those games, and those are, I think, were you would think on paper, at least maybe at the beginning of the season, those were games that might be kind of lopsided going the other way, but they're still highly, highly competitive. What, what is it about this team that it just doesn't seem like, regardless of who they're playing, that, they, that they've really been beaten soundly with the exception of the Utes? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, like, we, we do the, the Pac-12 power rankings every week. And I don't know about you guys, but that's getting super hard because yes. it's like it's Oregon, Utah, USC kind of in there and Washington kind of in there. But then it's like everyone else. And mm -hmm. I struggle every single week, like, because I'll be like, well, you know, UCLA had a good win. Oh, but Oregon State beat them. And do I put Oregon State above them? I don't want to look like a homer, but you're like, well, but Oregon State beat them. And then, I mean, it's it's a crapshoot, really. I mean, anybody I think could really beat anybody on a given day. I think Utah, in my opinion, is really the class right now of, of the Pac-12. I, I am anxious to see that Pac-12 championship if it's Utah and, and Oregon, because I think that's going to be an amazing game, first and foremost. But I just, 
I like Utah. I think their defense is so strong. But Oregon State's offense has kept them in a lot of games. Um, you know, with Jake Luton back, he's looked really good. It, it was interesting at Oregon State's game last – or it was Oregon's game, I'm sorry, last weekend. The TV, they, they put a little stat on that showed four quarterbacks in the country that had 25 touchdowns to three or less interceptions. And Herbert was one of them. And I kind of stopped him and I was like, wait. Jake Luton should be, you know, and my son actually is like a stat wizard. He was like, oh, no, Jake Luton's only thrown 23 touchdowns to two. And a half. <laughs> so, didn't qualify. Yeah. So he didn't qualify for that with Tua and, you know, and, and um, Herbert. But anyway, it's that has been, you know, huge bright spot right there. Um, Oregon State's offense has, has been kind of the, the key. But defensively, the we've seen a huge turnaround. I mean, Oregon State's defense last year ranked last to second to last in almost every major statistical category there was. Um, I think they had 53 tackles for loss all of last season. And right now I think they're at 80 plus um, with a game left. So um, tackles for loss has been huge. You know, getting a pass rush has been big and just the run defense has, well, it still has a long ways to go has been way improved. Juniors Isaiah Hodgkins and Hemaclair Rashid have become two of the best offensive or defensive players, not only in the Pac-12, but just in the country. Um, both guys will have NFL decisions to make after this year is over. Uh, what do you think the, the chances are of them going pro, and just what would it mean for this program long-term, even though they'd just get one more year with, with the Bees? What would it mean long-term for both guys to come back next season uh, for their senior years? That would be huge. I mean, that's one of the discussions we have in the Lodge right now at Beaver Blitz is, Coach Smith's biggest recruiting pitch right now is to keep both those guys. I, I don't see Hamilka leaving. Um, I, I do think he sticks around for a year, and, and that could change, you know, if he gets somebody in his ear telling him differently. But um, I think Isaiah Hodgins has kind of been a foregone conclusion. That's been his goal, you know, since summer, is that he wanted to ball out this year and, and try to make take his game to the NFL. So um, I, I don't see him coming back. But, I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, yeah. that is Coach Smith's biggest – if. He could keep those guys somehow um, intact and, and really help build on that. Oregon State's linebackers, though, could be scary good next year. I mean, you get Addison Gums back from an ACL injury with Hamilka. Um, Avery Roberts has really started to, to shine. And then Omar Spates is a true freshman this year who's kind of coming along. So that linebacker core could be really, really good next year if if they can keep Hamilka in the mix. Just with, with him in general, I, I was – I mean, he's, he's leads the country in tackles for loss. He's second in sacks behind Chase Young, who's a Heisman Trophy kind of candidate. Um, I was looking at his numbers last year. I mean, he, he's like doubling, if not tripling, some of his production in statistical categories. What's been the difference for him? And kind of like if you're an Oregon fan who maybe hasn't watched a lot of Beaver football, describe kind of his impact on the field and kind of what Oregon uh, will have to be up against on Saturday. Yeah, he's... I think if you ask him, it's really just been the consistency. Like I touched on earlier, it's, you know, he's had several coaches over the years and, um, you know, last year and to Beaver fans were really upset last year with, with defensive coordinator, Tim Tibisar, because they felt that he wasn't making adjustments to help his guys be successful. But what he would say is he's sticking to the same scheme and he wants them to learn it, you know, that repetition of learning it. And this year it just seemed to have really clicked and Hamilka, I, he's going to be that edge rusher. He, he's, he lines up sometimes at the line of scrimmage, and you'll see him come off the edge that way, almost like a, a hybrid D end. He, um, it, it's almost funny. I mean, the guy is just ripped, and he's strong. 
he's the guy that you'll see. I mean, we, we always kind of laugh about it, but you'll see him pregame with no shirt on. He's the only guy in the field without a jersey. And it might be like 30 degrees and he's out there. Um, he's gotten really strong. I, I still think he could add some, some muscle, though. I think that's where a year in the program could really help him. But, um, yeah, he's gotten strong. And, and you ask him, and it's just that it's clicking. It's just making sense. And some, they can play faster when they're not thinking constantly about what they need to do. Jay Gluten is having a, a, just a really good senior season um, for the Beavers. 28 touchdowns, just three interceptions, 2,700 yards passing. He's completing 62% of his passes. And and I'll, I'll be honest, I, I didn't think Jay Gluten was a very good quarterback coming into into the season. I mean, last year he played in eight games and it was, you know, 10 touchdowns and 1,600 yards. And in 2017, he had the injuries and, and whatnot. But, you know, still, it wasn't when he did play, it wasn't all that impressive. And then, you know, I, I just, I don't know what it was. I just wasn't really sold on Jake Luton. But he's, I mean, he's become a really good quarterback in his sixth year. What's just been his biggest improvements? And where would OSU be without him this season at quarterback? Yeah, you know, I, I think, First of all, he's fully healthy. You know, the past couple of years, he's battled not only the, the spinal, the, the vertebrae, vertebrae break, but um, he also has had some, you know, illness, you know, illnesses that he's kind of gone through and not feeling completely healthy. And this offseason, he really, when he learned he got that six year, he really worked hard in the weight room. I think he lost about 25 pounds and um, worked on his speed. Now, you'll never, ever confuse Jake Luton as a running quarterback, but he will. <laughs> He will, you know, he will tuck it and run if he needs to. Um, we've we've seen him score a couple touchdowns that way as well. Um, he still, though, has this tendency to, if a pass rush is coming at him, the past couple games especially, he will, you know, go negative 10, 15 yards and then, you know, get tackled for a major loss. So that's one of the areas that is still not, you know, I think Beaver fans kind of wring their hands over because he'll he'll make make an amazing throw to Isaiah Hodgins or Noah Togiai. Um, who he's had really good uh, chemistry with over the past couple years. And then he will just make a stupid decision. So um, not, maybe not necessarily a decision, but if he gets under pressure and he's not able to set his feet, then his throws are usually off target because he tries to like rifle him in. And he does, he's got this amazing arm, but yeah, not, not always the most accurate. So um, like I said, Beaver fans will one minute they'll be cheering and saying his praises. And the next minute they'll be, hands in their in their palms because he's made some stupid decision just looking at the last two games in this series obviously lopsided Oregon wins 69 10 in 2017 uh the largest in the series hate to remind you of this Angie but um (laughs) I'm sure Oregon State players haven't forgotten the last two games and how they played out and with I think everyone expecting this to be a a much more competitive game on Saturday has that been something that's been brought up with players this week of kind of like, you know, it's not just a bitter rival. It's a bitter rival that the last two years has beaten you very, very soundly. Yeah. Um, I just kind of, I kind of wonder how does that impact the dynamic of everything? It's just the way these last two games have gone. You know what? It's been so muzzled. I mean, Coach Smith, Monday's press conference, I mean, he's so even keel regardless, but he's kind of, he'll, he'll admit, yes, this is a big rivalry game, blah, blah, blah. But he's very, um, he does not want, anybody playing into any of this big game we need to you know redeem ourselves I mean it is business as usual another game um but you know the players feel that right you know those the older guys have I mean Oregon has kicked their ass the past two years 
for, for, I mean, all intents and purposes. So um, to go and get a win and get bowl eligibility would be huge, not only for the senior class that has been through a lot, but um, it would just be huge for the program in general. I was, I was going to say, let me rephrase it slightly because uh, clearly the players and the coaches really want this one. How about the yeah. fan base and just the people in the community up there? I would have to imagine this feels, I mean, just, just with the way the season has gone and the momentum Oregon State has and Oregon dropping a game, even though Oregon had obviously a ton of momentum prior to that. But like, does this just feel like one where the, the fan base is, there's there's some hope going into this game or kind of what's what's the perspective up there right now? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting because... Um, you have the, you have a certain subset of the fan base that just thinks it's going to be another blowout. You know, Oregon on paper, Oregon should, you know, handily win this game. I think Vegas had them at 19 or 20. I don't know what it's at now. I'm I'm not a gambler. So, um, I mean, it, it should be a pretty sound, sound, you know, win for Oregon. I think the diehard fans, you know, especially the ones that are following it pretty closely are kind of thinking, well, there's a chance, you know, there's after what we've seen from Oregon state the past, you know, like you said, four or five weeks. Um, knock off ASU, you knock off Cal, UCLA. They've, they've won some pretty, pretty decent games this year. Um, I, I think there's that fan, you know, that the diehard, and I think the players are starting to believe that, yeah, we could do this. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And we've got Angie Machado of BeaverBlitz.com on uh, previewing this Saturday's Civil War football game. And Angie, um, how how has this program been able to turn things around? Going into the season, many people weren't expecting much. I was one of them. I've said it already on the podcast. And I, I, I think there is no way uh, Jonathan Smith loses Coach of the Year. I think what he's done is tremendous. Uh, I, I I think he's the lock for that award. Uh, they've got NFL talent. They've they've got some improved depth. Uh, just an amazing turnaround from where this team was just two years ago. I'm just curious, just as the season kind of progressed, is it more of just having the confidence to go out and win games that improved, or what what happened to this program to flip a switch and all of a sudden go from the bottom of the Pac-12 to to now in the upper, you know half of the league yeah i you know and yeah i mean we're not talking just bottom of the pack 12 i mean last year's team was seriously the past two years they've been like bottom of power five and right. one i mean it's been bad um not even competitive i i go back to the culture because i really think that is has played a huge huge part and like i said i can't emphasize enough just how broken this program was i mean i you, you know in, in our job we get to know players we get to know families and, and to hear the stories when gary anderson left um, of just how broken these guys were. You know, it was very, like I said earlier, a splintered locker room. Guys were questioning their decision to even keep playing this game that they once loved because it was not fun anymore. Um, you had teammates that really didn't get along. It was, it was bad. And I don't even think Jonathan Smith and his staff knew just what they were getting into when they came in. And so I think, I think he almost reevaluated. It was like you come in. And then you, you evaluate, you meet the players, and then you kind of see where they're at. And I think he's like, kind of was taken aback, was like, whoa, you know, this, we got to change. Culture is the number one thing here. So um, not only has he got these guys getting the best grades that Oregon State football has ever produced, over three wow. points, um, he, he's also getting these guys to buy in. And they've really kind of adapted this us versus the world mentality. You'll hear them pregame in their, in their little huddle they do after warmups with this, we've all we've got, we, we're all, we're, we, we are all we need. 
and it's this family of they don't need anything else. They've got each other, um, offense, defense, special teams. They hang together. You look across the field from the press box and see them on the sideline, and we're not seeing the little splinter groups anymore. It's um, They're all standing together on the sideline. So that right there, I think, has been the biggest thing. And then you take that coupled with them actually now seeing that the co- what the coaches are telling them is working and it's clicking. And um, there's a lot of buy-in right now with the staff and, and with the players. I know it's Civil War week and we're, we're focused on the game on Saturday. I, I just think I want to ask a couple or just a question quickly on just kind of the short-term slash long-term future under Jonathan Smith of it seems like regardless of what the outcome is on Saturday, there will be probably more optimism going into the offseason for 2020 than there has been for Oregon State. And you'd probably know better than I would. Oh, my um, God. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> But but just like I mean what what I mean I know obviously you want to win on Saturday but regardless if it's a five and seven season that is I would imagine feels like definitely overachieving what is the how how, how do you expect the off season to feel or, or what do you kind of feel like the off season is going to be like in terms of just the excitement around this program and do you think twenty twenty is going to be a season where it's like we should be going to a bowl game that is the expectation yeah I I do think that's going to be the expectation although. I am cautiously, you know, looking ahead because Oregon State loses a lot on offense. Mm-hmm. Defense, they return guys, but offense, they're losing three O linemen, Luton, Art Pierce, probably Isaiah Hodgins. I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of losses there. But um, off season, I think the guys are going to be super motivated. You know, if they're coming off five wins, six wins, um, I mean, the bowl game. That's that's where I think people underestimate the importance of a bowl game is that Oregon State would then get those fifteen extra practices. Yep. That would be huge for the program. But, um, you know, say they don't, and but how motivating is that for the players to go into off-season conditioning and, and all that, the grind, really, of that six months of spring camp and winter conditioning? Recruiting has got to pick up, um, and I see Oregon State. I mean, they have about five spots left for, for looking for some commitments. But, it, you know, I just did a we're, – we're doing our Q&A in the lodge at Beaver Blitz right now, and somebody had asked about recruiting. And it's interesting because I kind of went through this right before I jumped on with you guys. Right now, Oregon State's class ranks out as the average per player ranking as, a, as an 8-4-6-6. That is their highest right now. If that stays the same, that will be the highest ranked average per player ranking since the 2010 class. Wow. And that's huge, right? So, um, And that's not taking into account the, the transfer portal, which has been really good to Oregon State. And I see them continuing to go strong after some athletes in the recruiting in the transfer portal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think recruiting is huge right now for this program and being able to sell um, to these recruits, kind of sell the turnaround to them. And it's no longer like come and start for us and what now it's like, hey, what we're doing is, is working. And Coach Smith is what's interesting is you know, I was talking with my husband about this and, you know, everybody talks about Coach Riley and the legend that he was at, at Oregon State. I actually look and, and I was one. I will be completely honest. When they brought Smith in, I, I was questioning it. I, you know, I didn't know if he was ready. I didn't know um, if he had what it took to be the head coach because we knew he was an offensive coordinator. But what I'm seeing from him is overall, I think he's a better coach than Riley was. Wow. High praise. We, we, you brought up something that I, I kind of popped into my head. So I'm going to ask you two questions before we wrap up. Um, you, you discussed the transfer portal and how it's been good for Oregon State. We know they have Charles Moore, the four-star defensive end, who started his career at Auburn. 
He's coming to, to the program. He will be eligible next year. They've got multiple guys on this year's team that are either freshmen or sophomores or what have you of, of transferring from another four-year school. But it seems like there are some major players for a couple other guys. Jack Sears at USC, uh, Theo Howard from UCLA, uh, the ASU kicker. Um, I'm just curious, how many guys do you think they add to this class? And how many of those guys are going to be transfers that could be eligible to, to play for the Beavers next season as high, you know, as former high level recruits? Yeah. Yeah. I, right now I, I can see I'm taking five more. I think they're at 15 commits right now. They'll take five more. I see this class being right around 20, but then I also see, as we see a little more attrition happen with the current roster. Um, yeah, they are in it with Theo Howard. They're in it with Jack Sears and then Brandon Reese, um, all of whom have visited and, um, yeah, I hear Oregon State's a, a, a total player for, for all three of those guys. And you just look. So this is, you know, another little nerdy thing I do. But, um, you know, 24-7 keeps kind of the top 10, top 20 commits all time, like since 2000 or 2001. I went back and I plugged in. If you plug in some of these commits that they or these transfers, so Addison Gums, who came in from Oklahoma, Tristan Jebbia, Tyjon Lindsay, who both came in from – and. Uh, Roberts, Avery Roberts from Nebraska. You take in Charles Moore, you take these guys in, five of these transfers would be in the top 10 as wow. far as all time commits. So they are really trying to elevate the, um, the talent. You know, and Oregon State's not going to be the school that goes out and gets five, five stars every year. And that's just not going to be, that's, that's not in the makeup of Oregon State. But where Oregon State, that transfer portal is going to be game changer for them because they can go out and get these guys that maybe are unhappy elsewhere or it's not panning out like they thought and bring them into Corvallis and really kind of a fast track to uh, flipping that roster. And last but not least, let's shift this back to the field on Saturday afternoon at Austin Stadium. What are the, just the, the keys for Oregon State? What what do they have to do well if if they're going to win this game? And what can they not allow Oregon to do uh, if – they want to win this football game. Yeah, I think it really comes down to Oregon State's offensive line has got to have the game of their lives. I mean, that's they Oregon State has to be able to run the ball. They have to be able to pass the ball. And that line has to stand up if Oregon State's going to have a shot. I, I see them playing some possession football and trying to run AP and Jamar Jefferson as much as they can. Um, so that line's going to have to play lights out. Defensively, I, I think the Beavers, you know, the secondary, like I said, is, is really the weakest part of this of this team. If, I mean, last week they were giving Anthony Gordon like six, seven seconds in the pocket. I mean, I swear the guy could have eaten a slice of pizza and <laughs> still had time to throw the ball. So we need to see more of a pass rush because, you know, the best secondary in the world is not going to be able to, to guard a guy that long. So um, a pass rush is going to be huge um, in, in putting some pressure on Herbert because as good as he is, you get pressure on him. He has made some, some errant throws. She is Angie Machado. She covers the Beavers for BeaverBlitz.com. You can read all her work and her site's work leading up to the Civil War game with your VIP membership uh, to 24-7 Sports or to DuckTerritory.com or to BeaverBlitz.com. Uh, so, Angie, thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you up in the press box Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, good stuff there from Angie Machado of BeaverBlitz.com. Highly encourage any Duck fan that subscribes to DuckTerritory.com to go over there and read her work. Get yourself familiar with 
this Civil War football game. And look, you're going to have plenty of time. You're going to have that uh, an annoying uncle or that aunt that wants to get your life story for the 13th time on, on Thanksgiving you know, Thursday. Uh, tune them out. Listen to us instead. Uh, <laughs> plenty, plenty of time to listen to this podcast and get yourself familiar. And also get yourself familiar with the Beavers. So, uh, Eric, I, I, I think she kind of confirmed everything we've kind of thought of this team is that, you know, they have improved. There's no way around it. They, they've developed some talent. Are they the best team in the league? No, no, no one's saying that. But they've gone from being a complete pushover to a team that now, if you don't give your best effort, you, you're going to lose. Yeah, no, and I, and I think the cultural stuff is what was maybe most uh, interesting of, of just it feels like Oregon State, and, and I think from watching them it felt this way, but from hearing it from Andrew, someone who's been around them all year, there is a sense that they they believe they buy they trust each other they they kind of have bought into what Jonathan Smith is doing and I think last year we said it felt like Oregon State had the right coach and Jonathan Smith leading the way up there but I, I don't know if we necessarily really knew that with too much confidence because again they, they didn't win very many games last year and, and and they were beaten pretty soundly by Oregon in that Civil War but with what they've done over the last year I think it's pretty clear that Oregon State has the right coach and. I think we're going to start seeing this this rivalry between Oregon and Oregon State, and I don't know. How, I don't, I'm not sure Saturday's game is going to be super competitive. I, I kind of think it will be. I, I don't know. We'll talk about that more later on the week. But um, I, I I come away thinking that this is going to be you know Oregon Oregon State is is going to be kind of a revived rivalry. I don't think we're going to have this this trend again of Oregon beating Oregon State by 50 points every year. I don't think that's going to be a, a thing that happens. I think these are going to be games, and sure Oregon might win three quarters of them. They might win a couple of them pretty lopsided. But I just think there's going to be a lot more competitive games, and I think that will start on Saturday. I, again, I, I, I'm not going to make a pick or predict how lopsided Oregon will win, but I, I just don't see that being a game that Oregon comes out and it's you know 42-7 to 7 at halftime and everybody's kind of packing up and ready to go. It's going to be the 75th consecutive year. The Ducks and the Beavers meet in the Civil War on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, it's the 123rd meeting between the two programs, uh, and the Ducks are looking to improve to 11 and one over the last 12 years. They've, they've won 10 of the last 11 games uh, dating back uh, to, to the civil war. Uh, Oregon has played in the last you know 11 games. Like Eric said, it's been blowouts. Oregon's averaging 47 and a half points uh, with a scoring margin of 20, almost 21 points. So this game hasn't been competitive. We'll see if it is competitive uh, and that starts Saturday afternoon at Autzen Stadium. So for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem, thanks again for Angie Machado for coming on the show. We will talk to you soon. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Ooh, change. Change.